Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Jumping back in. Part two, folks. Welcome to the podcast, Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Father John, Father Nathan took a little break. I got a little more coffee. I got some peach jam. Peach. That was some tasty peach jam. Mm-hmm. Shout out Starbucks. Shout out to Tom and Janet Lou. Thank you, Janet. That was some fine peach jam. Appreciate it. Chatted a little more off uh, off the record. Offline. Offline. And uh, yeah, there we go. Should have done the. Uh, you know, we should have done halfway through that. The uh, the Jack Jack Conroy just start doing pull ups in the street. You know, yeah. you got to burn off some energy. I thought about doing some push ups. Yep, that was like two years ago. Yeah, so uh, we're going to kind of keep at this here, um, and uh, appreciate you being with us. If you did not listen last week, uh, this is just a continuation. We've actually never really done this before, but never. Uh, we just need to, we got a lot to get out the lead here, um, and uh, hopefully people are, are finding um, that they can enter into this conversation, because uh, we, are, we are definitely... Um, thinking about this and trying to kind of work through this in a way, but also challenge some of the, the basic kind of ossifications that happen into mm-hmm. camps. It's a good word. Um, because again, what's beneath the inability to dialogue always is the, the, the lack of a humanity that can live in tension. Right. So I just, I can't live. I can't go to a church where a priest says one thing that is, that can be taken out of context to be pro-choice. And it's like, well, you obviously lack some kind of human ability to do that. I think so also the, the opposite's true, that if some priest says something like remotely pro-life at certain churches, it's like, I can't believe he would say that in right. here. Right. How could he say that word? I mean, one person actually said, like, I can't believe that we use the word abortion in the church. Right. Like, like this is supposed to be a sacred space, and we're going to talk about these realities. It's like, what? I do wonder if the uh, the reason we're getting more heat from the right than the left, at least that's what I am, um, is because the left kind of stopped going to mass this year. Like, they're just not in the pews. Like, I was kind of shocked. Maybe, I, you know, I was like, oh. I mean, when I gave a pro, when I gave a, when I got into this in Boulder eight years ago as a new priest, it was nuts. I mean, I th- I thank God that I got yeah. on a plane the yeah. day after and flew to London to visit my parents because right. I gave, and we, we talked about it. We did a podcast on it, but I had people screaming at me during the homily, walking out. I mean, it was it was mental, and I was like, I I was I had been ordained a priest for like four months. This is sure. this is the Obama, um, and I think McCain. Uh, election and they just I tried to kind of lay out some principles and uh, an argument uh, and they were just and this was in Boulder Colorado okay but people were so uh, so upset and then other people would stand up and clap like you know just to kind of stick it to it was just like none of this is good you know yeah so it was it was quite the experience then four years later um, I'm at Queen of Peace and uh, they're kind of unfaced. It's kind of like whatever, you know, um, because it's a completely different kind of political climate. And then I've been out of it for the last five years. Um, actually, I wasn't at Queen of Peace for that last election. So I only have had one experience in the parish uh, with this, but it was different. Um, and I, I, I just, it's, we're trying to figure out kind of how do we navigate this? Um, 
and again, not ossify into, into a camp. And what I mean by ossification is the inability to actually have a dialogue with people. Um, now, people who are not Catholic in their mentality, secularists, Marxists, I want to talk about Marxism a little later. Um, you, can, you can have a cappuccino with anybody, as um, Lorenzo Albacetti said, and talk about something. Sure. But it's going to be pretty difficult if you think you're talking to a Catholic and you're actually talking to a Marxist, or you think you're talking to a Catholic and you're talking to a hum- uh, secular humanist. Um, but at least for people who are thinking with a Catholic worldview, informing Catholic principles, believe in objective truth, um, we should be able to kind of talk a little more with a little more kind of pliability than, than this kind of insane, I don't know, tension that we're living in. But I would say that the opposite of the ossification is the incarnation. Like, that flesh is different than bone. You need bone. I don't know if you remember that conversation we had up in Craig years ago where we talked about how canon law is like the the uh, skeletal system. Right. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, like, when you don't have law, um, weird things happen. And there can be movements and spirits and and kind of uh, passions, but law is really important to actually create the structure on which the rest of the body uh, uh, relies. Right. But we're not walking skeletons, and we're not just walking passions. So uh, the ossification is that we have been so fossilized in our in our perspective, that we can no longer enter into a fluid, limber dialogue with persons, which actually affirms certain principles that they're saying and say, it's actually good and Christ-like that you would desire to help these persons in need, that you would desire to see this. But ultimately, we have to put flesh on the bones. A gospel spirit is one that's connected into the incarnation, which means that you are a full person. You're not just a spirit or a ghost, a specter, like haunting or, right. or you know, being able to move in all these different camps at any point in time, like back and forth. It's like going to require that you are flesh and bone and persons who are living disciples of Jesus are much more uh fleshly like fleshly as in like yes they have bone they have a backbone they are standing for something but like it's communicated in different ways yeah i like the uh image of a mollusk mollusk it, mollusk mo- um the um balthazar talks about how the church without a hierarchy is like a mollusk but the church reduced to hierarchy is just the skeleton it's, it's exactly what you're saying yeah. you know so what we don't want is uh, let's just sit around and have dialogue, you know? Like that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. What we're talking about is creating a form and a way of a way of living where I can actually receive what other people are saying so that we can stand together more deeply in the incarnate truth, like yeah. which is Jesus. Um, it's about truth. The content is truth, but the we oftentimes presume or don't think about the form, for example. I was telling my guys about this, Tohu Wabohu, and I may have quoted you and your father on some kind of interesting applications of That's the true. Tohu, tohu Wabohu, in the beginning, God creates the world as formless and void. 
he's well, been before th- he creates the world. This yeah, the world, the formless, formless and void. So he, the first three days he he creates the form. The next three days he fills the void right. with content. And the point I was making with the guys was, if you're just going to spoon feed kids with catechism content, but you haven't actually taken on the 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 tohu, you haven't created the form, which is the life of discipleship, like you're saying, uh, then the content is is empty and doesn't matter. And so. Part of this whole thing about what is how is dialogue possible? How is communion possible within the the? How do we live communion in the church in a really difficult set of circumstances uh, where we've been polarized politically for decades? Um, how do we actually create a form where we can actually then speak about the content um, instead of just hammering each other and then kind of hammering our priest to say, you know what? If you were a real man, you would have said this, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, ooh, um, we we need we need something else here. So, going back to the, if you don't mind me, going back to the um, conversations, and and again, I have several kind of close friends that I'm thinking about specifically conversations on this. The disenchanted neocon, as I would say, um, what? How did we? How did I kind of approach it, and what did I have to say to them? I don't know if it was particularly good, but but one thing I saw that they were getting hung up on, part of the disenchantment of kind of just the, the pro-life narrative, and this is not actually advancing the pro-life cause, and they're saying things like just legal, you know, rendering abortion illegal is not the answer, which we, you know, agree with. We want a pro-life culture, obviously. We want people to think with a mentality of life. Um and uh, but but these were the kind of conversations that we had. One thought I had was, okay, what if what if we reframe the question to say, um, set aside the the hierarchy of values thing, the hierarchy of issues, because that seems to be a stumbling point for some people. Okay, sure. They say, yeah, life, yeah, but what about environment or these things? Okay, so um, let's just let's just kind of set that aside for a second. So then what I said to them was, all right, you have two parties that are both morally bankrupt with deplorable candidates, like we said earlier, um, who have platforms which align with different Catholic principles or values, right? So just for simplicity's sake, you could say the Republican Party, life, marriage, religious freedom, the Democratic Party, uh, racial equality, immigration, environment. And I said, here's my challenge for you. I said, let's just say let's just say hypothetically all of those are equal hmm. okay so yeah. no more no more hierarchy just all of them are equal yes if what i'm hearing you say which is this is two evils that i have to choose from then you can say which one is going to do more damage to the opposite issues so is the republican party going to do more damage to racial equality immigration environment. and the environment or is the democratic party going to do more damage to life, marriage, and religious freedom. Hmm. And you vote not for a candidate, but for the party that's going to do the least amount of damage in the next four years. Wow. Okay. That's the first thing I said. It's a different approach. Sure. Okay. And I think it's really worth thinking about yeah. and really informing ourselves on those issues. But, but the reason I said that is because I felt like they, they were like, I need you to tell me that these other issues matter. And they're not just eight, nine, and 10 on the list, but really life matters, marriage. And, and it's like, okay, but if we say they're all equal, yeah. which I actually, I don't know if I, I think that. I think that there's a, there's a legitimacy to the hierarchy, but just I don't think we have to argue that way 
in order to make a good assessment and to think about the parties that we're voting for. That's just mm. my my first thought on that. I think that's a great way. I think it's a great way to frame the conversation that actually allows their conscience instead of just immediately going to, I don't like that person. Right. Okay. And normally it's, I just don't like Donald Trump. I just don't like him. You know, like I just, I, I can't stand him. Okay. Just look at the issues and look at the parties. Okay. And when you start kind of, uh, allowing them to like pull back from perhaps the the venomous uh character assassination that both sides are guilty of i mean that first debate was embarrassing it was it was absolutely embarrassing as somebody who follows politics i was like this is so sad that we can't actually get to the issues and and have a conversation i couldn't i couldn't even watch it i mean to me it's like listen i know exactly who you need to get to to uh moderate the next um moderate the next discussion the next debate do you know the Sasha, guy okay. the guy from uh around the horn who uh, used to be yeah. the guy off to the side during yeah. part of the interruption tony yeah is that his name tony yeah, um well it's tony kornizer you're talking about espn yeah yeah so on around the horn in um uh in i need to look that up that's gonna drive me crazy um on around the horn there's three different persons speaking and he has a he has a mute button and he can actually push the mutant button on you. Right. And I would think it was great like if if he could just they could just press the mute button on the other person. Okay, but it allows you to get behind the sort of personality conflicts and actually say how do we discern this well? Okay? So, but I want to go back uh, to something that you said at the beginning was, you know, well, w- we want to create a culture, we don't just want to change the law, right? About pro life right, stuff. Right. Okay? So I live right next to a truck stop. Uh, it's you know about a mile and a half down the road. And uh, recently there was a, a young girl that was found um, who was 14. Um, and she was drugged. And she had been taken from her family. And uh, she was found uh, in the area by, thanks be to God, a, a, a disciple of Jesus, somebody who was a believer. Um, and he got her the help that she needed. Okay? And, uh, you know, this truck stop... Is, is in my parish boundaries. It's on my side. Directly across the street from the truck stop is an adult bookstore. Mm-hmm. There is no one in the parking lot. There is no one, there is no uh, cars in the parking lot because everybody walks over from the parking lot, from the truck stop to the adult bookstore. The adult bookstore is in another person's parish boundaries, okay? So we don't want to change the law. We want to change the culture. Human trafficking um, is wrong. And uh, a, a, a great evil. Do we want to change the law? You're damn right we do. We want to make sure that any person who actually traffics a young man or a young woman for sex, for drugs, for any reason of you know servitude of any kind, that they would be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Do we want to see that law changed? Yes. Do we want to see the culture change? Yes. Do we want to live the gospel amongst these persons? Yes. Before COVID happened, uh, one of my Lenten resolutions was I was going to go into that uh, truck stop in my collar and just put a sign that says Catholic priest, love to have a cup of coffee and a, a piece of pie. One of the biggest things that truckers deal with is loneliness. 
They're out on the road all the time, away from their family members, away from their friends. And when loneliness grips a person to a certain extent, they go to other things. Do I want to see the law change? Absolutely. I want to see the culture change, but I have to change. I have to move in my life to actually say, I want candidates to support this. I want persons uh, in, in my culture to actually say, yeah, this is the thing we need to do, but I myself need to change. And sometimes when we, we just push it into the environment of somebody else's responsibility, and I'm going to vote in that person and they're going to do it. No, you change. I have to change. I have to, I have to find different ways. So I would just say, like, as much as we want to say, like, okay, let's pull back from the issues, whatever. I want to see the environment uh, do better. I want to see immigration do better. I want to see life do better. I want to see marriage do better. Okay, what am I willing to do for that? What am I willing to do as an individual? And what am I willing to do to create a culture of that? And what am I willing to do to actually point to the political candidates to say, this is something that I want. My mom, uh, Veronica is on the Secret Service's watch list because she called Dick Durbin too many times during the Obama administration and Clinton administration and said, your soul is at jeopardy. Like, please, like, change your life. Change your heart. The road that you're going down is not going to lead well. Well, she said something like, you could suffer the fires of hell. And uh, the, Secret, on the watch. Se- Secret Service said you're on the watch list. That's funny. So when her number comes up, I mean, she's in she's in trouble. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a disciple. Yeah. Veronica. No, I absolutely agree that um, dis- over-separating law and culture, uh, it shows... It, there's so much there's so much philosophical change that has happened in the last few years that undermines all of this. So this notion that law is just kind of malleable, it has no bearing, uh, it has no no it's not tethered to truth. Sure. That's positivism, right? That's a that's a con, that's a structure and a way of thinking that is not Christian. That's a modern philosophical viewpoint that says uh, positivism so the only thing we can say about anything positively is that knowledge is reduced to the empirical data and that positive this is where we derive sociology that laws are just kind of sociological phenomenon and the people who want abortion should have laws that's that permit abortion because that is what that's what's true right this is there's a whole structure at work here and so yeah for the catholic it's like we really got to get back to what is law what is law, and, and how do we understand uh, how law both arises from culture, a culture informed by truth, and also forms a culture in truth? But when you lose religion, this is Christopher Doss's great insight, and this is the second point I made to the, the disenchanted neocon friends. Um, when you lose, when a culture loses its religious foundations, it is reduced to politics. And that is precisely the mess that we're in. Sure. Uh, that there was a great article uh, George Weigel wrote in First Things. I forget who sent it to us, but it's basically just saying liberal de- the, the liberal democratic project, and I don't mean liberal in political sense, but just modern democratic projects, cannot guarantee its own foundations, which are the Judeo-Christian principles. This whole project is built on Judeo-Christian principles. Right. And it, those are gone. Those are gone now. And that's why I'm kind of like, how do we do the least amount of damage 
for as long as possible. And you read St. Ignatius of Antioch today, the That's guy right. who says, let the lions grind me that I might be the wheat of Christ to be made bread for the church. It's right. like, this is where we're going. This is where we're going. And yeah, you get Trump in there for another four years. You have somebody else. What is going to do the least amount of resistance so that maybe not my nephews are going to get martyred, but like somebody further down and that we can sustain and at least kind of keep as much as possible. But I, I think that the with the death of the Christian vision of culture, there's no, there is not a hope for the, there's no political salvation here. And uh, that, that I say to them, and it's hard to, it's like, well, what what do you do with that? Well, it's just, it sobers us up a bit to say, um, nobody is saying we have the perfect political party that's going to save the Catholic church. This is integralism. This is the, this is the maniac rad trads who want a king, right? It's like, we just, we need the monarchy back. And it's like, you're not going to get the monarchy back, right? It's over. Like, I, I don't understand. You're not the, getting your bell tower. You're not getting your bell tower. Exactly. That's just what somebody said to somebody. That's a very inside joke. But I, uh, I, I will say that we have to acknowledge that unless the creative minority of Christians begin authentically living out the faith and centered in truth, uh, then there's no chance for this to kind of take anywhere or to go anywhere. My, so so St. Ignatius of Antioch, he's referring to this uh, uh, second reading of the Office of Readings for today. You can find it on Ibrevery, um, October 18th, October 17th. <clears throat> he says, My love of this life has been crucified, and there is no yearning in me for any earthly thing. Rather, within me is the living water which says, Deep inside, come to the Father. I take... I no longer take pleasure in perishable food or in the delights of this world. I want only God's bread, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ, and for drink I crave his blood, which is love that cannot perish. Brothers and sisters, like the church is founded on the witness of the saints, and the saints are not produced uh, because uh, they skirted the difficulties. They actually were forged in the fires of, at times, cultures that were not prepared uh, to receive them. They were not worthy of them. We were not worthy in the 20th century to witness Mother Teresa. We were not worthy in the in the 20th century to receive, you know, John Paul II. We weren't worthy uh, to receive uh, the, the, the saints that went out during the plague and actually assisted persons in the cities of Rome. But the, it's, not the, it's not the culture's fault. It's not the political party's fault. It's the fact that there are not enough persons who are sold out for Jesus Christ. And if there were more, if there were more Christians, if there were more living, um, radical Christians who were in dialogue, let's just put it that way, I think we would see some real change. Christianity is the largest religious group in the United States, probably second only to... Um, uh, fallen away Christians or fallen away Catholics. So I, I think that the fact that we're not united as Christians means that we're not we're certainly not going to be united as a nation. We're not going to be united as a culture. We're not going to be united as a world. Um, and I, I think it's very difficult right now. But I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid for my nieces that uh, in four years or eight years or 10 years or something like that, that there's going to arise a political party or, or some kind of movement. I'm worried about whether or not I've convinced them in the midst of the culture 
that their life has value, that they're lovable, that they're made for communion. You know, um, I'm not, I've never had a conversation with Jackson and Micah about, you know, political, you know, belief. Um, but I hope that they understand that at some point in time, if ever they needed to, if they were in sin, or if they just wanted to have a conversation, they could go to their uncle Geo, Zio Geo, or their creepy, like, you know, his random friend. Right. You know? So we're opening channels of dialogue by being present before persons. I know it doesn't look like we're winning right now and that somehow another person could come in they could pack the court and they could do all these other things. And I'm like, brothers and sisters, we're not going to win America. We want to obtain the crown of righteousness. And if you're not about that, it doesn't mean that you're... It doesn't mean that you don't love your faith because you love your country like with real patriotic zeal. But at some point, you have to realize it was 1,700 years before America even came into existence. Um, and they had the same patria, uh, the same piety for, um, for Italy, for Rome, for you know uh, Christendom. And uh, that's not always a bad thing, but God sometimes takes... Um, things from us, and I'm not despairing. I'm just saying, like, if we make America into an idol, if we make our political party into an idol, God's God's gonna come. He's gonna take it. Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. The interesting thing about Saint Ignatius is that he is dying. He's he's living and dying in a world that really changes in the fourth century. So he's this is second century, and then he, um, or first century, and then. With the legalization of Christianity, uh, we we've been facing for 16 centuries the challenge of how does the spiritual authority of the church relate to the temporal realm? Yeah. How does it relate to the political realm? Yes, there are many people nowadays who say it shouldn't at all. Don't ever say anything. But I'd also like to say maybe take it easy on your pastors because it's not their job to tell you everything that needs to be said and done about the political sphere. They have a job to say, I, my job is to form you, the lay people, because your vocation is to sanctify the temporal realm with Christian values. Everything that we're talking about, the permeation of Christ, the Christian world, is about the lay vocation. This is where evangelization happens. This is where mission happens. Our job is to form them, strengthen them, and, and challenge them to go out. And the fact that everything is turned inward— back at the church, right, and saying, we're just fighting inward. It's like, no, we, we need to go out. You need to be out in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, right. in your relationships, and you need to have the confidence to talk about these things. And there's so much, like, just political bullying, but but people need to have the confidence to say that. And you know what? If Father, if, if you're just justifying yourself because Father is the most hardcore pro-lifer ever, then it's like, that's great, but then you got to go out. You got to you got to get out into the world and start and start living this out. And that's why Amy Cohen is freaking rock star, and she's the model right now of like she is just doing her thing. She's a faithful mother. She's a brilliant jurist, and she's one of the best examples of like this is the beauty of what a of a Catholic layperson looks like. Right. But there's an ecclesiological framework that. The parish is the Catholic world, and that's where we have to kind of fight everything out. And it's like, yeah. don't sit 
and be pissed off at your priest because he says one thing wrong or because there's liberals in the pew who are pro-choice. It's like, get out into the world and sanctify the temporal realm with the Catholic vision. But why haven't, but that's what I said. Why haven't we been upset for the last 40 years? You know, we have, we have slowly gone from uh, churches, as Father Gronsky used to point out, churches being packed for devotions. People would show up for a Tuesday night devotion to the Our Lady, to Mother Perpetual Help. They would show up for a Wednesday novena to uh, St. Joseph. They would show up to Stations of the Cross on Fridays. Uh, they would be there for First Friday, first Saturdays or First Fridays. Um, we've moved away from that, and uh, we've enthroned something different. Why has that not infuriated people over the last, not just 40 years, 60 years, okay? these This boomer generation that is squawking, they, at some point, some of them grew up living that life where all they had was a radio and the rosary. And then eventually they got TV and eventually they got color TV and eventually you got DVDs and eventually got Netflix and eventually whatever. And it's like, we have moved away from prayer. That should be the outrage. Not like father didn't say everything that he needed to say about the pro-life message in 20 minutes. I, I don't have, I can only load one bullet at a time. I took my shot. I preached a message. I don't know where it landed. Guess what, brothers and sisters? I'll be back this week. And we're going to keep doing it. And I don't know. At some point, I'm going to be judged on everything that has come out of my mouth, both from the pulpit and on this podcast. It's a scary thought. It's a scary thought. For both of us. And I would like to say, Lord, I had every intention of eventually getting to that point. Um, I was trying to do this. I was trying to awaken in persons a thirst for communion, hmm. a thirst for love, an acknowledgement that they are lovable, a, a, a reason to for their existence other than consumerism or uh, you know pride. And if I didn't get to the fact that gender ideology is really bad, I'm sorry for that. So what I want to do, brothers and sisters, is this is what I had a, a conversation with Blaha about. I said, what if you gave your last will and testament every five years? Every five years, you called all your family members and friends and just said, here's what I want to communicate right now. Because uh, St. Ignatius does that in his thing. He says, even if I were to tell you something totally different, right now I'm of sound mind and body, and uh, I want to communicate this. And allow people to do that. But the reason why I didn't allow, I was like, we should organize a night where people can do that and actually speak from the heart. What if it turned into a political reality? Right. What if somebody just said, you know what, like we really need to you know, get behind this transgenderism. And I'm just like, what the hell? Yeah, you know. Um, so it, instead, I I didn't do it. But I would actually like people to know, like, hey, where do you stand? And we, that means we have to listen to each other. And I I hope that I hope that what I'm able to do at times at my parish is in four years 
have they grown closer to Jesus, and do I believe that being closer to Jesus and the Spirit is actually going to lead them to the truth, as opposed to, I spent four years trying to push them into a particular ideology or political party. Yeah, your line about awakening them of thirst for communion, I think that's, that's the heart of it, because communion is orthodoxy translated into charity, right? We have to presuppose the orthodox faith. If you're saying, yeah, we get behind transgenderism, um, communion is not possible. Communion in Christ Jesus is not possible without orthodox faith. But that's not, but orthodox, and this is the, this is the really hard thing we've had to learn in the last decade. Orthodoxy is not enough. Right. In our day, the fight was orthodoxy. We're taking it back. We're taking it back. Battle for battle, parish for parish, person for person. We, we're, this is the JP2 generation. This is sure. happening. Yeah. And uh, that has been a bloody mess. And it's, there's been heroic conquest that has happened in the church. But it's not enough. Right. Orthodoxy does not guarantee and does not facilitate communion alone. It has to be translated into charity. And that's why it, it can't just be you give the, the, the one-two punch on every moral issue. I mean, I know a guy in our diocese who told me, he says, I only preach morality. And I'm like, Christianity is not morality. The companions in St. Paul have a great Brian Larkin imitation where they say, it's not Christianity. Right, that's, I guess that's one of his lines. So that's not Christianity. Um, <laughs> it has to be uh, something more than just moral issues. Right. And what we keep coming back to time and again is the question of worldview, which you could also call ethos. What is the operative vision for reality that informs the way that I act, everything that I do. Yeah. Is it a Christian worldview or is it not? We cannot presuppose anymore that it's Christian. And I'm thinking about my nephews, your nieces. Uh, we want we want to awaken in them a thirst for communion with God, which which is also a communion within the church. We want that. We want to form them as deeply as possible. But at the end of the day, they're swimming in deep waters. This This culture of self-creation... Right, the worldview of postmodern Marxism, which Jordan Peterson's right, this is the operative worldview right now. This is taking place politically, right? Everything is masked. It's all a ruse, right? All this Christian language, everybody's practicing Christian, everybody's so, all these good people behind it are worldviews and a gospel that is not Christian. Hmm. And the Marxist message is not Christian. And we have to look forward and we have to, we have to be discerning enough to say, where are these parties taking us? What is coming in, t- in 10, 20 years? Are you taking us into a Marxist collectivism? Are you taking us into fascism? Like, where are we going? And realistically, yeah. what is the most dangerous area here? Because we can't just check out. We can't, the Benedict option, this is not it. It's not, a, it's not an option for lay people, right? It's an option for religious. It's an option for the hermit. But it's not an option for the, the, the Catholic layperson who is called to be in the world and to sanctify the world. That's, that's your mission. That's your job. And we have to be really astute uh, and brutally honest about the way that other worldviews are operative within Catholics. The source of conflict and derision and the lack of communion is ultimately reduced to we are not living in communion because we don't have a Christian worldview. It's not, it's not shared. Your parish is made up of all kinds of different worldviews. Uh, but the predominant one Again, if Jordan Peterson's right, and I think he is, is this kind of postmodern Marxism. 
which is which is crazy and completely different uh, and really at work in a lot of these conversations and a lot of this uh, this minefield politically that we're kind of running through right now. And I would I would just re-echo like I would re-echo but like change the change the petition, which is, you know, Father John said, go easy on your pastors. I'm not asking for I'm not asking for patience. I'm not asking for uh, you to just get off my case. I'm actually saying, come talk to me. Come talk to me as a as an individual. And if I wasn't clear, you know, I, I, I can I can make it clear. But like I'm not printing a newspaper where I can just say, uh, our editorial staff realized that we made a we made an error and whatever. Like here's here's the correction. Like I'm willing to have a conversation about these things. Um, and I challenged everyone at the end of mass. I said, my door is open if you'd like to have a conversation about it. I am really, really busy um, with other things, but I would make time for that. I'd make sure that I made time for that yeah. because I want to I want to be able to aid these persons in forming their conscience. And I would say that uh, Breitbart does not help form your conscience. CNN or whatever the extremist CNN would be, um, it doesn't form your conscience. I would say read the documents. If you haven't read, uh, if you haven't read uh, "Faithful Citizenship" from the USCCB, perhaps you start there. You know that's that's the governing, you know, good document for the United States just to help people like you know train their consciences. If you're like, you know what, I don't like the USCCB, I don't like what they're doing. Okay, fine. Uh, why don't you read the catechism sections on on uh, conscience and the political political realm? Um, I think that you need to be informed. I'm not saying that you should just like blindly pray and then vote. Like research these issues, but at the same time, like it, you, sometimes you need to do that in the company of others. We just met this amazing young woman uh, who apparently we've met before, Brittany, who is the new director. Brittany the new director of uh, the Colorado Catholic Conference. She stood up at, at the Colorado Catholic Conference uh, or in front of the presbyterate meeting, and it's like, oh, here we go. Here's the new girl, you know, uh, who's going to run run the show, and what's it going to be like? And she steps to the microphone, and first thing she says is, very grateful to be here. Um, I'm a convert. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Catholic ding, stuff. Ding, you should ding, know. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. In front of the whole presbyter. Yeah. In front of the whole presbyter. And I'm like turning like 60 shades of red, like, oh my gosh, like what the and heck? I was like, happened? stop it some more. Uh, and she spoke so eloquently oh, yeah. about this. But like, I'm not just saying go to the Catholic Conference, Colorado Catholic Conference website. Why don't you call up Brittany? Why don't you call up the Colorado Catholic Conference and say, I am a, I am a Trump supporter, but I want to know what they're going to do about the environment and immigration. I am a Biden supporter, and I want to know, how do I help my party see the, the, the centrality of religious freedom, life, marriage, etc.? And actually enter into a conversation with that person um, instead of just lobbying, uh, lobbying you know, grenades at each other. Um, and I was really, I was really grateful— uh, for Brittany, if she wasn't a podcast listener, I still would be proud of her because of how well she spoke at that meeting regarding uh, where, what we need to be focused on. So, uh, I would, And that happened on the podcast, not because we sat there for four years and just berailed 
you know, you know, certain politicians and certain activities or whatever else. And she's like, yeah, get him. I'm going to I'm we're going to we're going to take those losers down. It's like, no, she actually was awakened to a relationship with Christ and the church and the sacraments and then gave her whole life to Jesus. So praise God. I would also say uh, one of the best, you know, guys that we've just had conversations with over the years, especially when he was in Denver, is Archbishop Shapu. Amen. Uh, not a podcast listener, but... Not a podcast listener. Not a podcast listener, but he sent um, a lecture. You can Google this, a man versus a movement that will change our lives forever. This is one of the best thoughtful, carefully presented, um, and just like, this is where dialogue needs to start. This this guy's actually thinking about ideas and uh, might not agree with it. That's okay, but just to we got to start looking for the right people to read and to listen to and start engaging their thought, especially if it challenges our presuppositions a bit. Right. Uh, and I found this guy to be really good. So so search for that. All right, let's wrap it up. You got any wrap it uh, up. shout outs? I already gave mine. Brittany Vesely, uh, welcome to the diocese. Welcome to the. Uh, the wild wild west she's from virginia or something like that um thank you for that shout out it was amazing yeah that was in front of all the boys yep my parochial vicar was like gobel had the best presbyterate meeting ever Ever. because it was like oh congratulations to father nathan for being awesome i was like yep "Yep," and i wanted to run and hide Mm -hmm. so um i don't have any shout outs I, i i i would just encourage you vote 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 I have two shout-outs. Number one, Kevin Greeny bought us a wonderful bottle of Calumet. I love Calumet. I know, and it's yeah. basically gone. I thought you you gave that last night. You saw it at the house. The guys. That's just, what you gave for the birthday honorings. Yeah. Oh man. That's why I brought I, you one. I gave mine to Book. Uh, he didn't. I thought you gave it out of that small bottle. No. Well, no, that was it's lame. over. No. Well, by maybe, way, I'll, maybe uh, I'll make it up to you by buying you an Australian. Uh, what do they call them? Doodle puppy, thanks to Diana Miller who listens to the podcast. Mm. Faithful listener, right? Oh my gosh! No, these things you got to get on a uh, list. It's like maybe in twenty thirty you can get yourself one of these puppies. They I are very cute. But I, Archbishop Aquila went over for dinner the next night, and I was like, he's gonna he's gonna get one, Barf. but he didn't. So, yeah. um, puppy, by the way, uh, but uh, Diana and Matt, thank you for uh, thanks for a great night. We were at the Bart Lines. It was a lot of fun. Diana was the first. Christian that I met who I was like you are a human being who's normal and cool and maybe this is possible for me so I'm, that was a back when she was Diana Humbo 20 years ago and I'm very grateful for that so great to reconnect with them and see all the kids So, by the way uh, Brittany Vesely uh, bought us a bottle of bourbon and we never thanked her for it we thanked her for the Ooh, something else I can't remember what she got okay. um, but we didn't thank her for the other I said it's Probably it's likely that Father John took it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I get the box and the card, and usually the food items. But sometimes the liquor doesn't end up yeah, with me. So, and sometimes we don't know actually know where it comes from. There's not always labels on it. So, folks, this is what podcasts look like when we're jacked up on caffeine and peach toast. We're gonna come back though next week. We'll have bourbon in us. We'll kind of calm, settle down, we'll mellow, folks. just mellow a little bit. So. By the time this comes out, it will be one week out from the election. Yeah. Or maybe it'll be... Is that right? Yeah, God help us. So next week... What, next week's the 23rd? Yeah. And then the 30th. Yeah. yeah, 22nd, 29th. And then we'll have one more, and then it'll be... The next one will be the after the election. Right. But I would just say, we entrust our nation, the United States, 
to the care of Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, who is the patroness of all of the Americas, and United States is particularly devoted to the Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception. Um, before uh, Christ even was born, he was already reconciling the world to himself uh, through the, the wondrous reception of, of grace, the singular uh, reception of grace of Our Lady, who was uh, saved from original sin, uh, even from the womb of her mother. So let us conclude with one Hail Mary, uh, asking Our Lady to watch over, guide, and protect all those who uh, fly under, uh, under her mantle. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Go in peace, but more importantly, go. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Later. See you in November. Dun, 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 dun.